Rather, this morning we are going to be looking in uh, the text of Acts chapter 13. We'll read the first five verses, if you would, because this is the Lord's day and you're the Lord's people. Stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 13, beginning our reading in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucas of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Church, the grass fades, the flowers wither, but the word of God remains forever. You may be seated. You know, one of the advantages of getting old, and I am getting old, one of the advantages of getting older is that you have a lot of experience, that you can recall things, look back on events in the past, and so far I'm still able to look back on events in the past. Uh, That day may be coming sooner than I want it to, but so far I'm still able to do that. And perhaps the two most frightening days in mine and Carla's lives were the days when we dropped Hannah, our firstborn child, off at kindergarten. Remember those days? The second, perhaps, most frightening day in our lives was the day that we dropped our secondborn, Micah, off as a freshman at Hawassee College. Those were difficult days. They represented major changes in, in our lives and in, in the lives of our children. And I don't mind telling you, those were emotional days. They were tough. In both cases, we were surrendering a measure of control and connection with our children. Both events were marked uh, a change in our relationship with them. Our relationship never was the same after that. We moved into a a, a completely different phase of life with both of our children. In a word, it was traumatic. It was tough. Well, in essence, that's what we're reading about in Acts 13. What we're reading about here in Acts 13 is what happened in the church at Antioch when Paul and Barnabas who had established themselves as valuable members of the church, listed in verse 1 among the leaders of the church. They they had leadership roles. They had endeared themselves to the fellowship, to the other leaders. I imagine these brothers were quite comfortable and happy in their roles. Antioch was their home. The church was their family. However, God had a different plan. We are told that God called Paul and Barnabas to leave the church that they loved and to carry the gospel to places and to people that were far away who had never heard of Jesus Christ. 
That's exactly what new, healthy New Testament churches do. And today, today as a body of Christ, we have the privilege of experiencing much the same. Much of what the church in Antioch experienced, as we have seen the Lord graciously call one of our own to carry the gospel to a faraway land among unknown people. And much like a parent dropping off that kindergartner, much like a parent dropping off that freshman in college, we, we pause and reflect this morning. Today I want us to examine what it is the Lord is doing and how we as a church can continue to enjoy His goodness and His blessings in these opportunities. Before we jump into the text, I want to I define a few terms just to make sure that as we go through the text this morning, you're understanding what I mean by certain words. These are common words, but are sometimes misunderstood in church ease. So let me, let me just define three or four terms real quickly. First of all, I want to talk about what is a church. What is a church? You hear that word used a lot. Certainly in the New Testament, we see it appear... Uh, in, in broader Greek of the day, it just spoke of an assembly. It could, it could talk about a, a social assembly. It could talk about a political assembly. Uh, oftentimes in the New Testament, it is used to refer to all regenerate people in every place of all times. But most often, and I believe here in this text, it is used to speak of a local gathering of baptized, born-again believers who gather for the purpose of observing the ordinances, Baptism, as we've observed this morning and the Lord's Supper. Preaching the gospel and practicing church discipline. The other term I want us to define this morning and make sure we're clear on is the word evangelism. What do we mean when we talk about evangelizing or evangelism? I love Dr. J.I. Packer's definition he gave in his little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Packer writes this, evangelism is the act of communicating the gospel with a view to conversion. I like that. Communicating the gospel with a view to conversion. Which leads us to the third term, the term missions. Now I want to tell you, I think we've gotten kind of fuzzy in our understanding of what missions is in the modern church. And we tend to confuse sometimes missions with evangelism. But when you look at the scriptures and when you look at, at the church history, missions is evangelism, now watch this, that crosses barriers. Missions is evangelism that crosses the barriers of distance or language or culture in order to engage people with the gospel. Which finally brings me to our fourth term, the term missionary. What is a missionary? Well, see, a missionary is one who's called by God, sent out by the local church to cross barriers with the gospel. That's what a missionary is when you look at the text. So let's set some context and we'll jump in. Antioch is the very first church in the New Testament that sent out missionaries. Very first one. You say, wait a minute, Tim. Way back in chapter 8 and 9, we see, we see the apostles being sent out and, and the believers being sent out. Yeah, but they weren't sent out as missionaries by the church. They were primarily sent out because of persecution and because of problems. It is here we find the first commissioning and purposeful sending of missionaries in the New Testament. 
And we are told that these missionaries were called out by the Holy Spirit and sent out by the church in Antioch. Now, for some of you guys who are, read the text carefully, and as you go through this text, you're going to notice that the, the, the writer of, of Acts, Luke, messes with us just a little bit. He begins in chapter 13 by referring to a man by the name of Saul. But not very far. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 13, he starts calling this same man Paul. Now, that can be confusing sometimes. And the question may be, well, why would he do that? And we don't really know. Some have supposed, and I think it's a pretty good guess, that perhaps it was because Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Greek name. And he was going to minister among Gentiles. And so it was more appropriate to refer to him by his Greek name than his Hebrew name. We don't know for sure. That's a pretty good guess. We're going to run with it. But for simplicity's sake, I'm going to refer to him as Paul in the message. I'll try to be consistent in that so as not to confuse the preacher. And so this morning, I want us to look at what has often been referred to as Paul's and Barnabas's first missionary journey. He's recorded in chapters 13 and 14. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to exegete every verse in chapters 13 and 14. But we are going to use them to help us understand some things about this text. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to break this down into two sections. We're going to talk about a portrait of ascending church. A portrait of ascending church. And for all my OCD friends out there, there will be four points under that first point. The second, the second topic, the second point, we're going to talk about the portrait of one who is sent. Nothing complicated here. The portrait of ascending church. Second point, the portrait of one who's sent. Again, for my friends who, who suffer with OCD, six points under that second one. Some of you are doing the math. You said, that's 10. We're going to be here until past dinner. I promise we won't. So let's begin. Let's look at this portrait of ascending church. Four things I want to draw to your attention out of the text. Number one, ascending church is a disciple-making church. Ascending church is a disciple-making church. What do I mean by that? Well, way back in chapter 11, we're first introduced to the church at Antioch. And in verses 19 through 24, we're told about the starting or the planting of this church. We're told that it was founded on the gospel. In fact, Luke tells us that certain men from Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch. And here's how Luke forms it. He says they came preaching the Lord Jesus. And guess what? What happens when you preach the Lord Jesus? Well, he tells us in the following verses. As a result, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The church at Antioch was founded on the gospel. And so began that church. Immediately, literally in the next verses, we find the church making disciples. We find it focusing on growing disciples and developing leaders. Listen to what Luke says. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you see what was happening? 
Do you see what's happening? These men came, preached the gospel, folks came to faith, and immediately what did they begin to do? They began to pour into others. They began to raise up leaders. They began to disciple one another. Ascending church is a disciple-making church. Secondly, ascending church, we are told in the text, is a worshiping church. Look at verse 3 of our text. I'm sorry, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Notice the context here. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Here's what I want you to get, guys. Here's what we see in this. God, listen, God works in a church that prioritizes His worship. Don't miss this. God works in a church that prioritizes His worship. That's why if you, if you read our, our, our uh, mission statement at First Baptist Pal, you'll find that we say, we say that we are a gospel-centered community who loves God and others. But then we say we are also a, a community that is engaged in gospel-centered worship. The very first plank of our mission statement, is that we are going to be engaged in worship. Notice, notice not only that, in our disciple-making pathway, our disciple-making pathway says a healthy disciple is one who gathers with the body of Christ, grows in the grace of Christ, and goes with the gospel of Christ. Do you notice that first phrase? A healthy disciple what? Gathers with the body of Christ. A healthy disciple worships God. Antioch was a worshiping church. And they were a church who was serious about their worship and their sacrifice. Twice in the first three verses, we are told they worshiped and they fasted. Ascending church is a worshiping church. In the New Testament, missionaries are revealed to the leaders and called to service in the context of a worshiping local church. Therefore, it is incumbent upon the leaders of the church and upon the church itself that we engage in genuine, Christ-centered, gospel-centered worship. Thirdly, ascending church is an obedient church. Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now notice, notice what Luke tells us here about this church. He says they were worshiping, they were fasting. God reveals to them. He had called Paul and Barnabas to the special task. And what did they do? They obeyed God. They obeyed God. But I want you to notice a couple things here. Maybe that is simply implied, but it is important. The church set apart only those whom God had chosen. They set apart only those whom God had chosen. See, not everyone in Antioch went. Not everyone was sent out. God had called only Paul and Barnabas to go. One of the things we must be careful of in the church and we must be careful of as individual followers of Christ, is that we don't confuse a need with a calling. Friends, I've had the great privilege of traveling literally all over the world since I've served in this church as your worship, as your, uh, as your missions pastor. And in that, in that time, in that opportunity, I've gone lots of places. 
I've, I've had the privilege of being in the high Himalayas. I've been in the, in the, in the jungles of Indonesia. I've traveled to the, the deserts of, of Western Africa. I, I've had great opportunities to travel. I've traveled to the southwestern part of our country. I've gone uh, to the northeastern part of our country. I have never gone anywhere on this planet that there wasn't a need for the gospel. But a need doesn't constitute a call. And the truth is, Paul understood this, especially later in his ministry. We get in chapter 16, he's, he's confronted with all these opportunities, all these places to go, and the Holy Spirit keeps closing the door until finally he calls him into Macedonia. But notice also what the church does. The church set apart only those whom God had chosen, but the church also commissioned and released those who God had called. Now notice this. This is the work of a local church. The local church only follows the leadership of God in this, but as it follows the leadership of God, it has a role to play, the role of commissioning and the role of releasing. We're told in verse 3 that they laid hands on them. Now this gets confusing at times, especially in, in broader Christianity. And even within evangelical life, it gets confusing. What do we mean? What is the act of laying on the hands? What does, that, what does that symbolize? What does that regard? Because sometimes we lay hands on men when we're ordaining them into gospel ministry. About 40 years ago now, maybe 41 years or so ago now, men laid hands on me and ordained me into the gospel ministry. Is that what we see happening here? I don't think so. And one of the reasons I don't think so is Paul and Barnabas were already apostles. They were already leaders in the church. They had already been set aside by the church in that manner. No, I think what we're witnessing here is not that they were making these men pastors, but they were setting them aside as missionaries. He spoke of the church's affirmation, their support, their love, their confidence in these men. Paul and Barnabas would represent Christ and his church as pioneer missionaries. R.C. Sproul is, is helpful in his commentary when he comments on this text by, in this way. He says this, he says, The reason for the laying on of hands here in Acts is that Paul and Barnabas were about to begin the first missionary journey. The church laid its hands upon them as a sign of consecration, symbolizing the real touch they needed, the touch of God. It's interesting Luke uses the word sin here. The word he uses for sin in verse 3 is different from the, the word he will use later in his text in verse 4. In verse 3, he says, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Literally, the word means to release. They released them. The church, church freed these two missionaries from all the obligations in relation to their duty to the church and of the heavy financial burdens of their missionary journey, they were released to go and preach the gospel. Thirdly, or fourthly rather, the sending church is a supporting church. A supporting church. A sending church will faithfully pray for their missionaries. Now, while this is not explicit in our text, we certainly find it throughout the New Testament and Paul speaks of this multiple times in his letters to the churches. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, he, he exhorts the church to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert, he says, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. To the church in Thessalonica, he simply says to them, brothers, pray for us. Certainly we would adopt the posture of the, of the Old Testament saint Samuel when he wrote in, in 1 Samuel 12, Moreover, as for me, for it be for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We are called to support our missionaries through prayer. But also sending church receives and encourages their missionaries. Receives and encourages their missionaries. At the end of chapter 14, we find these missionaries coming back to Antioch after this first journey. And what do they receive when they come there? It, it says that they come in and they give a report. And, I, and Luke has a funny way of saying it. He says, and um, they spent no few days with the brothers. <laughs> they spent no few days. You know, what that, you know what that says? They were welcomed. They were embraced. They were loved. They were cared for. In fact, we'll find that, that Paul and Barnabas, and Paul in particular, will use Antioch as his base for his future missionary journeys. That's the portrait of Ascending Church. Ascending Church is a church that makes disciples, that worships the Lord, uh, that is obedient to Christ and, and is supporting of those they send out. Secondly, let us look together at a portrait of one who is sent. Now, there are some here this morning who are hearing my voice. Maybe perhaps you're watching uh, via the live stream who you have, have come to the place in your life where you know that God has called you to take the gospel to the nations, to cross barriers with the gospel. But there are others here this morning whom God is calling you just haven't listened close enough yet. So I'm going to ask you this morning, sit up straight, listen to the Lord. Because I believe that what we're experiencing as a body today should be commonplace in God's church. I was reminded as I was preparing this message and thinking about this, and particularly thinking about the young lady that we'll be commissioning later, several years ago I had the privilege of preaching in this pulpit, and I made this statement that, that my prayer was that God would call out our best and brightest to send among the nations. He's done that. He's done that for us. May he continue to do so. And you may be the next he calls. So listen to what the word says this morning. A sent one is discipled by and submissive to the sending church. Verse 14. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Simple statement, but very profound. Notice Paul and Barnabas, verse 3, they lay hands on them, they send them out, they release them. What did Paul and Barnabas do? They went. They went. They had been, they had been discipled, they had been prepared, they were, now were being sent out. Again, interesting play on words here. I'll, I may come back to this in a minute, a little later. But, but notice, notice what we're told here. We're told here that the Holy Spirit sends them out. 
In verse 4. In verse 3, we're told the church sends them out. Well, Tim, which one was it? Yes. Yes. See, there is no sending of missionaries in the New Testament without the local church. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a missionary on your own, autonomously. That's not how that works. God does that in the midst and in the context of a local church. Interestingly, Luke chooses to use a different word for send in verse 4 than he did in verse 3. In verse 3, the word primarily means to release. In verse 4, it means to thrust out. Are you catching the drift here? In verse four, it's, in verse three, it says the church released them. In verse four, it says the Holy Spirit kicked them out the door. They couldn't help but go. They were compelled. They were thrust out by God's Spirit. We take very seriously this ideal of making disciples and raising up people in First Baptist. So much so, we have developed, as I mentioned earlier, a disciple-making pathway, a way of communicating how we grow in Christ. We talk about gathering with the body and worship. We talk about growing in grace. And we talk about going with the gospel. Those three elements is what makes a healthy disciple. In the area of growing, recently we have introduced uh, the foundation of, our, of what we're going to call the First Baptist Institute through our core courses, our core classes. Classes that are designed to help you grow in God's grace. They're being offered on Wednesday evenings and on Sunday mornings for the purpose of raising up God's people to serve God in this place, but well beyond this place. Secondly, a sent one is faithful to go wherever the Lord leads. No less than four times in chapters 13 and 14, we are told that Paul and Barnabas went. They went in obedience to God's call and the church's commission, and they continued to press onward with the gospel. Sometimes they went in response to open doors. In chapter 13, in verses 4 and 14, we see God opening doors in Cyprus and in Antioch in Pisidia. But sometimes they were driven by persecution. In chapter 14, verses 5 and 6 and 19 and 20, we find them being driven out. In, in, in verses 5 and 6, they are driven out of Iconium by, by persecution. Later, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium will come to Lystra and stone Paul and leave him for dead. But it says the disciples gathered around him, that he got up, they went to Derby, and he preached the gospel. They're faithful to go wherever. Thirdly, a sent one proclaims the gospel boldly wherever they are. This is the heart of this text. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, they preached the gospel. In, in Salamis, in, on, on Cyprus, they preached the gospel. In Iconium, they preached the gospel. In Lystra and Derby, they preached the gospel. And Luke shows us in the middle of chapter 13, how this gospel was preached. He records Paul's sermon in Antioch, in Pisidia. And it stands as an example of the gospel. Notice, notice what Paul said. Paul tells them, in, in chapter 13, beginning in verse 15, 
He preaches the gospel. He begins by telling them, reminding them of who God was. That God is holy and just. That he was the one who raised up their forefathers in Egypt and brought them out of Egypt and cared for them and brought them into the land of promise. This holy and and righteous God had done this work for them. But he also reminds them in verse 18 of their sinfulness. How that the children of Israel had sinned. Luke says it this way. He says, he records Paul of saying it this way. He said, God put up with them. In the wilderness. Why did he put up with it? Because they were sinners. Later, he'll tell, he'll tell us that in Jerusalem, that the Jews in Jerusalem had sinned against God by condemning Jesus to death. And thereby showing us what we already know about ourselves. Is that we too are sinners. And then Paul, then Paul tells them about this Christ, this Messiah. This promised one, as he frames it. He talks about David, and he talks about the promised one. And he says, John the Baptist came preaching, and John said this, This man is so great, I can't even unlatch his sandals. And he speaks of Christ and his sinlessness, and how that he died on the cross. And then Paul will, will say this, that God raised him from the dead, and that he was seen by many brothers. He reminds us that this Jesus was God in the flesh lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again on the third and appointed day. And then he finishes by calling them to repentance and faith. He says to them in in verses 38 and 39, if you will believe this, you will have eternal life. Friend, I say to you this morning, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted in this Christ, you have never placed your faith in this Jesus that you heard spoken of in the baptistry this morning, as you heard sung about from this stage this morning, as I have recounted this gospel for you this morning, if you have never turned from your sin and trusted in this Christ, I, I implore upon you today, may today be the day of salvation for you as you trust Him. If you're curious about what that means or you have questions, we'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be around at the close of the service. One of our pastors will be in, in the crossroads room. If you exit these doors, turn left. It's the last room on your right just before you exit the building. He'd love to take time, talk with you, answer your questions, pray with you. Please, this morning, do not leave this place without seriously considering the call of Christ on your life to repentance. In faith. A sent one. A sent one proclaims the gospel boldly wherever they are. Fourth, a sent one endures disappointment and opposition. Don't miss this one. This is important. A sent one endures disappointment and opposition. Right out of the gate, literally, right out of the gate. Paul and Barnabas faced opposition from without. On the island of Cyprus, they're confronted by a magician, Elamus, and he, he tries to discourage them. He confronts them. He opposes the gospel. When they get to Antioch of Pisidia, the next stop on the road, they're opposed by high-ranking Jews, we're told, in Acts 13.50. They move on to Iconium. It is there they are opposed by Gentiles and threatened under persecution in chapter 14, verse 2. They move to Lystra to get away from the persecution. And in Lystra, they are, they are opposed to the point of Paul being stoned by an angry crowd and left for dead. Friends, 
It has been said that no one can live and preach in the Holy Spirit without creating either a revival or a riot. It's divisive. If you preach this gospel, you will be persecuted. You will be opposed. Friend, you don't have to get on an airplane and fly halfway around the world to experience it. But they were also disappointed. They were disappointed within. Remember when we began, I read the text. Remember verse 5? Kind of a little, a strange little way of ending the verse. He says, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Well, for a while. We're told later in chapter 13, verse 13, that now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Phrygia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John left them. Now, we don't know why John left. We're not told that. Luke doesn't give us that information. Some have supposed that perhaps uh, he was afraid. They had, they had experienced some opposition on the island of Cyprus, and, and he had heard about the, 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 the people they were going to, and it was going to be a rough place, and he was afraid. We don't know why he left. We just know he left. And it, it becomes a point of contention later between Paul and Barnabas. In fact, it, it causes a division within that, that missionary team. So much so that Barnabas will, will take John Mark and go back to Cyprus, and Paul will take Silas and go back to Asia Minor. My point simply is this, guys. When you're serving the Lord, when you're obeying Christ, you're preaching the gospel, you're going to be disappointed with some of the brothers and sisters you work alongside of. But guess what? Paul didn't quit, and neither did Barnabas. A sent one, a sent one will endure disappointment and opposition. Number five, a sent one witnesses the grace of God at work. Now, I want you to get this because one of the things I, want, I wanted to portray today, Pastor Perry and I were talking about my sermon earlier this week, and one of the things I wanted to portray today is that being a missionary, being a servant of God is hard. It's tough. It's, it's a struggle. It's a battle. But it has its rewards. It has so many blessings. Notice, notice what happens as, the, as Paul and Barnabas preach this gospel. They begin to witness the grace of God at work. They see the lost being saved. In chapter 13, verse 12, we're told about the proconsul. Even though there had been opposition, he comes to faith in Christ. It says he believed. In Antioch and Pisidia, they were, they were opposed. They, were, they met opposition. And yet, Luke would write, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. See, God, God isn't defeated by man. We get, we get to Iconium, where there was this great persecution. And we're told this, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Do you see what happens? When we preach the gospel, God brings people to faith in Him. It's the work of God. It's in the timing of God. But God is kind to us to let us see it. He lets us taste it. This morning, God gave us a taste of it as a fellowship, right? When Andrew was baptized. 
We saw the fruits of God being a work among his people. This is what God does. But not only in the salvation of the lost, but in the strengthening of disciples and the formation of churches. Toward the end of chapter 14, <coughs> pardon me, we find the, the Paul and Barnabas making their way now back to Antioch. They're on their trip back to Antioch. And it says as they were going along, as they were returning to Antioch, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And that they appointed elders in every church. See, sent ones witnessed the grace of God at work in the strengthening of disciples and in the formation of churches. This is the work of God and the gospel. And then finally, finally, a sent one is accountable to the sending church. When we get to the end of chapter 14, we find the close of the first missionary journey. And it closes out with these words, beginning in verse 25. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. Did you see what Paul and Barnabas does? They never lost connection to that sending church. And so at the end of this journey, they came back to Antioch. They called the church together and they gave a report. Here's what God did. Here's what God did among us. Here's what God did among the people. Here's how he's opened the doors to the Gentiles. And they remained there no little time, Luke says. They were accountable to their sending church. Friends, God still intends to lose, use local churches to do exactly the same thing. God wants us to be a church that is so healthy that he can say through his Holy Spirit, separate this one and that one for the work wherein two I have called them. In his kindness, he has granted to First Baptist Pal that privilege as we commission one of our own today. He's given us that privilege. In his goodness, he's allowed us that. But as I said earlier, I am convinced. This should not be a rare occasion in our church. This should be how we function. I believe God is working among us, calling out those who will carry the gospel across barriers for the glory of His name and the salvation of souls. May we be and continue to grow as that kind of church to the glory of God and to the furtherance of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this great privilege as a congregation to gather this morning to worship our King and to, and to recognize and to commission those among us whom you've called out. Father, we are privileged and honored, but God, we ask, we plead with you that we might become the kind of church 
that you are consistently sending out from among us our best and our brightest to the nations. We ask this for the glory of our Savior and for the proclamation of the gospel. In Christ's name I pray.